0: Hello, my name is Jody Levant, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. So, this is the first podcast out for 2020, and I'm really looking forward to the year ahead, and all the new books and old books I'll be reading, and all the people I'll be talking to about them. And since this is the first podcast of this year... I probably should give one more reminder before we get started that New Dream Gardens podcasts are posted on the first and third Monday of each month. So anytime you're wondering when the next one is coming out, just check your calendar. So for this first 2020 podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Fred Rexroad, who's author of The Tanner Dent Mysteries, which are a series of mystery novels for children. And we're going to be talking about another author of Children's Mysteries, Charles Spain Veral. And we're going to focus specifically on one of his brains-benton mysteries, The Case of the Missing Message. But first, uh, as I don't plan to change this part of the podcast for 2020, unless someone or several someones tell me to stop, I'm going to start with a poem. And the poem today is, or should be, a familiar one. It's Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein, and it's from his book of the same name. Where the Sidewalk Ends there is a place where the sidewalk ends, and before the street begins, and there the grass grows soft and white, and there the sun burns crimson bright, and there the moonbird rests from his flight to cool in the peppermint wind. Let us leave this place where the smoke blows black, and the dark street winds and bends, past the pits where the asphalt flowers grow, we shall walk with a walk that is measured and slow and watch where the chalk-white arrows go to the place where the sidewalk ends. Yes, we'll walk with a walk that is measured and slow, and we'll go where the chalk-white arrows go. For the children, they mark, and the children, they know, the place where the sidewalk ends. My guest today is Fred Rexroad, author of The Tanner Dent Mysteries, including Wiz Tanner and the Phony Masterpiece, Wiz Tanner and the Mysterious Countdown, and Wiz Tanner and the Olympic Snow Caper. You can find Fred's website at www.fredrexroad.com. Thank you for joining me today, Fred.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate uh, being able to tell you my story.
0: As I've mentioned, you've written a number of these. I've mentioned a few of the books, these uh Tanner Dent Mysteries with these characters Wiz Tanner and Joey Dent. I can talk a little bit, uh, before we talk about specific books, uh these particular characters and what makes them tick.
1: The well, there's uh, six books uh out in the the wild right now, and I'm working on uh, the seventh one. The um uh, the, the two main protagonists are uh, sixth-grade uh, friends. Uh, they're a couple of kids from uh, this mythical town of Jasper Springs. Uh, they've known each other since second grade, and they've gone through, uh, you know, playing cowboys and Indians, and uh, cops and robbers, and different things. In fifth grade, they were uh, magicians, which comes to play in some of these books. And then uh, somewhere in the summer after fifth grade, they got uh, interested in investigating things, starting out with finding a neighbor's cat and just sort of grew from there. Uh, on my website, I have several short stories that kind of fill in some of these gaps. But uh, they're, um, I said, sixth graders that started their own little detective agency. Wiz Tanner, the main character, uh, I kind of liken him to uh, a juvenile version of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he's a, a very smart kid uh, that uh, tends to use some big words now and then that his buddy Joey uh, gets a little irritated at and uh, has to call him on that and say, you know, whiz, what are you talking about? Uh, so whiz explains to him uh, on um you know, a level that Joey can understand. So I feel I get some big words across in these stories for kids that uh, that they won't be turned off to. Uh, a little learning going on, which I, I kind of like. Uh, all my books, I feel, have some uh, learning aspect to them other than just a nice story. And uh, they're, uh, you know, friendly kids. They uh, uh, tag into their, uh, their colleagues from school to help them out now and then when they need more uh, uh, legwork on the ground. And um, hopefully, uh, they will continue to solve all the crimes that uh, Jasper Springs has to offer.
0: Now, the the latest uh, adventure they're involved with is in the book Wiz Tanner and the Olympic Snow Caper." You talk a little bit about what happens in this particular book.
1: Well, this one's a little different in that it takes place uh, entirely out of Jasper Springs. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of uh of Joey and uh, Wiz is they have this uh, underground uh headquarters back uh in the, the backyard of uh of Wiz's house that was an old uh, uh bomb shelter at one time back in the last century Well, they uh they took a little christmas time vacation to uh a mountain a, a ski resort uh, for a couple of days of some family fun and they uh, they get snowed in Uh, The real problem starts in um, the the snowstorm when the only bridge across the river that uh, goes up the mountain uh, gets destroyed. So uh, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. At the same time, there's some Olympic medals that get um, that they they become missing and uh, the the police can't uh, handle it because they can't get there. So that leaves the Tanner Detective Agency as the uh, only people on site to handle this. So they get involved in uh, looking for these missing uh, three Olympic medals. Uh, there's some skiing going on, some snowmobile chases, and uh, they, um, they basically enlist uh, some of the kids around the, uh, the resort to help them out. And uh, it culminates in uh, some rescue work that they need to do, and, uh, of course, they, they come through in, uh, in the end, turning uh, the, the medals in a very uh, interesting fashion.
0: And are there further adventures that we can look forward to uh, in, uh, in, in books that are, you're working on right now? The, uh,
1: the, the current one I'm working on right now, um, it's Wiz Tanner and the Uncommitted Crime, um that takes place back in Jasper Springs again. They're they're familiar stomping grounds. I'm um, only about a quarter of the way through uh, writing that, so it's uh it's still a, a little ways out there. Uh but uh, that's gonna involve um uh, an interesting twist on uh on a on a crime um book in that uh the the crime never really takes place and um it's just some interesting ways in uh that uh, Wiz and Joey go about figuring out that the crime hasn't taken place, even though everybody thinks it will or has. And um, they uh, end up, um, well, they will end up making all the, uh, the innocent people uh, found to be innocent again. So it's, uh, there, there's some details to be worked out there, but uh, I have great hopes that it's going to uh, fit right in with all these others uh, that are already out there.
0: I have a question about the the actual process of writing a mystery. i mean i always I would imagine that it's the sort of thing where you would have some idea of where you're going the end first, but I could be wrong about that. so I'm wondering, do you have a process? Is it do you have the end in mind and work backwards, or do you start from the beginning and just see where it goes?
1: I've gone uh, several ways on that. I uh, also, uh, in talking with, uh, you know, uh, writer colleagues at conferences and they um, tend to have uh, one way or another to do it. Uh, Some will actually plot out the whole thing in an outline form and know exactly what happens. And and others just start writing and see where the characters take them. And I've gone, excuse me, I've gone both ways on that. Um, There's a, a couple of books that I actually had the last chapter or so written before the middle of the book because I knew where I wanted this to go. And I I knew that I wanted certain things to happen. And then it's a matter of filling in the details and the clues to work toward that. And I I found that very fun to to write that way. Uh, But not all the books started out like that. Um, in, In some, I just have a Uh, a main idea of the types of clues I want to show up uh, based on the uh, whatever topic I want to teach in the book, whether it's something about fingerprinting or uh, the uh, geographic locations embedded in an electronic uh, photograph. Um, I I kind of have an idea of those things first, and then I work a crime and the clues around that. So... um, It it works uh, both ways. At least it has for me.
0: And does that impact the story itself, or is it a matter of whether you work uh, with an end in mind, or you're figuring things as you go along? That still, in the end, you're trying to get a particular structure. So they, you know, so there's a. uh, You the story does work out. You know, there's a there's a certain format to it. Or is there actually a difference in the different ways that you tell a story that the way they turn out?
1: I would hope that um, the end product is uh, indistinguishable to the reader as to the method I use. Um, and the, the, that, that method of getting from the front page to the back page um, is only the first part of the story. Once, once that's done, then there's a rewriting and another rewriting and you know the, the editing process. So um, any little uh, rough places where, you know, say I wrote the last chapter first and now I have to marry the middle up to that. Um, You know, I I go through and read it a few times and and do some editing. So it smooths out um, quite a bit, I would hope, so that uh, the the end reader probably shouldn't be able to guess how I actually wrote the book. Um, There's a structure that I'm aiming for uh, in the end, no matter how I piece together all the... Uh, the little parts of the book.
0: Now, the book you picked is one of your favorite uh, kids' books is also a mystery. It's uh, The Case of the Missing Message, A Brains Benton Mystery, uh, written by Charles Spain Verrill. I might be saying that last name wrong. Uh, written in 1959. Uh, and this one, I have to admit, this took me a little while to find uh, this book. So for other readers who might not be familiar with it, and I wasn't at first one until I read it, um, can you talk a little bit of what it's about?
1: Sure. It, um, it was one of my favorite all-time books. I, uh, I did a lot of reading as a kid and a lot of reading as a, as an adult since then. But um, this particular book, and actually there's a, a series of books that uh, were uh, written by uh, Charles Spain. Uh, I've been pronouncing it for all. Uh, I don't know that that's any more correct. Um, but the, uh, the Brains Benton uh, types of books, along with The Encyclopedia Brown, the three investigators, uh, you know the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, uh, books from you know the like the '60s back, uh, all have a a very similar feel to me in that way. Uh, But Brains Benton was a little different in that uh, I actually could see myself as Brains Benton, which is sort of my or. charles's version of my whiz tanner uh, and his sidekick is uh is jimmy carson um, they're a little bit older than my Wiz and joey but uh, very similar types of people uh, brains is a very smart kid but uh, what they do is realistically get into and out of um, trouble um, without uh, the help of adults you know coming in, and no supernatural wizards coming in, and they don't fly off in dragons and they don't have the CIA coming in because they called a friend of their dad's who could get a helicopter. Uh, a lot of the Hardy Boys and some of these other stories they have uh, what I consider unrealistic aspects to them, where this set um, i I just fell in love with them because I could see myself as these characters. And that's what I try to portray in my books—not just the the kids' books I'm writing, but I do uh, adult-oriented stuff also that uh, I I try to make realistic. There, there's no superpowers, and uh, you know, nothing to uh, come in and pull you out of reality.
0: Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, one of the main characters is brains. Benson, uh, the one you identify with. Uh, what is it about him that makes him not just an interesting character, but a, a good detective as well?
1: He's very methodical, and uh, he um, he he follows the clues. Uh, again, like uh, Sherlock Holmes, the extraneous stuff gets left behind, and he, he homes in on the important uh, clues of the story. And uh, he... Tries to do a little bit of training. Also, he's uh, teaching uh, Jimmy Carson, his buddy, how to do this stuff as he's going through and doing it. Um, he has a little laboratory where he has test tubes and Bunsen burners, where he uh, will, uh, you know, burn stuff to see what kind of a, a chemical may have been left behind at a crime, and uh, those sorts of things. But it's just very methodical, and uh, the the books were written in a in a similar way which really uh, caught my eye.
0: It's interesting you mentioned Sherlock Holmes because uh, uh, Jimmy Carson, uh, I think of in some ways, uh, the Watson of this character, um, not just because of his, uh, his relationship to brains, but also the fact that he's the narrator of, of these stories as well. And I'm wondering what the, the value of, of having a character like that, like a Watson, tell the story uh, from his perspective.
1: I, I think it's extremely valuable. I, I don't think the books would work uh, without it. Uh, just like uh, Sherlock Holmes, if he did not have Watson uh, telling the story, writing up the stories, it, it wouldn't have worked. Just the um, the whole idea of, of Brains Benton, uh, he doesn't feel he needs to explain that much to you because it's obvious to him. Sherlock Holmes would be the same way. He would... Uh, assume that the reader would already know these things so he would not bother telling him where dr watson or jimmy carson or in my case uh, joey dent they are the everyday person that has to interpret what uh, sherlock or brains is doing and saying and so they can put it into layman's language all the magic that's going on inside the head of the genius
0: mm. now this is a you know, it's a, it's a, it's a short, not a really long book. It's quickly paced, but still, even within that, there's a lot of very colorful and interesting characters that are introduced, characters we root for or characters we might boo at. Uh, and I'm just wondering, how does the author manage to do that to sort of fit in these characters that are not just sort of, just sort of, you know, characters to stand around and do things, but actually make them interesting people so that we get invested in the story?
1: That's the whole key behind writing is that uh, uh, every character has to have a purpose, and um, if the purpose may be just to add one piece of information uh into the the reader's world, but you don't want that to be someone who walks in, tells the clue, and walks out it It's just extremely boring that way. You want the the, the person to come in maybe trip and fall and knock a vase over or, or something that is completely um, unimportant to the story itself, but it just adds color to uh, the, the narrative. And uh, the the more outlandish your characters can be, up to a point, uh, you, you don't want them to be so comical that it detracts from the story itself. But the, uh, the, the characters in uh, The Case of the Missing Message, um, while they're very unusual, very strange they uh they have a realistic reason for being that way there there's a lot of uh circus aspect to this there uh the the missing message involves something to do with uh, a circus that is visiting the area and these are circus people so we we already feel they're going to be strange you know the tightrope walker the clowns the the animal trainers, they're all different than everyday people already. So we can add uh, just a little bit of color to their life and their appearance and their actions and make it still seem realistic, but make them very memorable so that we can tell all the characters apart as you go through the story. And it's real easy then to know the good guy and the bad guy. But sometimes it's not so easy in the beginning. You have to uh, kind of work through what they're doing and how they're, uh, uh, helping or hurting your, uh, your trials. But, uh, the, the whole key is to make them outlandish enough to be memorable without, uh, going overboard. And I think, uh, these books do a very good job at that.
0: Oh, I think so too. And I'm thinking apart from the, the characters and the sort of the mystery to be solved, uh, part of the appeal of this book is, um, there's these kind of neat little things. Like there's this headquarters that they have with uh, little devices in it. Uh, there's the code names they have for themselves and these various inventions that brains come up with. And, uh, I'm just wondering for, for kids reading this, what's the appeal of all those sort of nice little gadgety things in
1: there? And from uh, my point of view, when I was a, a kid reading this, that yeah, you know, I, I wanted to build these things. I wanted to emulate that. Uh, Brains and uh, and Jimmy uh, were able to use the uh, the, the second floor of, uh, of Brains's garage. It was basically an old carriage house from the past, and uh, so there was a, a second floor on it, and uh, they were able to uh, turn that into their little crime lab or uh, or headquarters. Uh, laboratory of some sort, and uh, the two of them built uh, a, a set of secret stairs that lead up the back to the uh, the headquarters, and they have a secret door that gets into it that you need uh, code words to to activate. Um, just uh, all that stuff are are things that I wanted to start building. Now, some of that was a little uh, uh, beyond my capability at that time. I mean the. The stairway, when uh, you start walking up, it folds up behind you, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And I, I never could figure out how to make that work on my own. But uh, the the rest of the stuff is, um, they're, they're just gadgets the kids could really do. Uh, you may need a little uh, smarts to, to do it, but uh, it wasn't so uh, out of the question to do these things. It just made it more of a, yeah, I want to do that. Kind of thing. So, as I was reading through these, that aspect of uh, of the storyline really caught me.
0: I I was wondering. You know, you mentioned earlier that you you you, you've of course written these uh, Tanner Dent mysteries for kids, but you've also written um, uh, mysteries for adults, and obviously the Brains Bent mysteries are written for younger readers. And I'm wondering, apart for for books like this, or even your own books. what is a is there a difference apart from just subject matter obviously there's subject matter you can do in adult books you can't do in kids books but apart from that uh, is there any other difference when you uh, you think an approach to a a kids mystery and an adult mystery that you see in a book like this in your own
1: uh, there, there's very little difference the um the way i put it together uh is is very similar uh these books are much shorter uh, i try to, to shoot for about 45,000 words where uh, you know, my adult novels I'm, I'm reaching more toward 80 100,000 words but the 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 real key is just to you know soften up the bad language and uh, make it um, a little bit more like a, a cozy mystery like the uh, you know Agatha Christie's probably the quintessential cozy style of mystery where there there may be a death in a kid's book, but you're not watching the knife go into the guy's chest. And in a thriller, you're watching that, uh, there's blood splashed on the, the the face of the attacker, and you don't get any of that in, uh, in the, the middle grade or a, a children's book. In, in the YA uh, realm, you're probably starting to get some of that. But um, it, it's okay to have somebody die it's just not okay to watch them die. Um, that, that's real, that's too simplistic, I think, but uh, but that's the thing. And instead of using uh, really uh, colorful sailor language, you soften it up, and you say, dang, or something like that. Uh, but that's the, the real key for me, the, the mystery itself and uh, how hard it is to solve and the kind of clues that you need to solve it, they're basically the same. It's just the language is softened a bit and you don't get uh, the graphicness uh, might in an adult book.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that. You, you certainly, you know, this is not a violent book, although there are still stakes involved and even danger, um, maybe more implied than um actually shown. But there's still, you know, some tension there in the novel of possibility, you know, things going badly. Um So, right. so there's still stakes there, even though it's like you said, you know, language and you know, intensity is not maybe as much as an adult novel,
1: right? You mentioned that uh, you know the the danger may be more implied than real, but there are cases where you know the 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 kids think they may die. Um, you know, there's the the aspects there. What they're hearing makes them think that they are in mortal danger. Now they they really aren't in that much danger, and it it works out. You know that they aren't, and they figure out how to to get around it. But the, the thing is, if they were in that kind of real mortal danger. They are ready to, you know, meet the task and get away. Um, So they, they still have to do all that because they think they're in danger, whether it's real or not.
0: Now, you mentioned early, like in your own mysteries, you like to include like vocabulary that kids could pick up along the way. And I'm wondering uh, with a, a mystery like yours and, and in the brain's mystery, obviously, there's an entertainment value. They're fun to read. But beyond that, just the just the pleasure of reading them. Do you think there's any other th- a value uh, that kids can get out of them?
1: The... Uh... Well, aside from you know learning new words and stuff, which uh, I, I would hope um, as they're reading, they find new words in every book. Uh, whether you're a, a kid reading a middle grade uh, you know novel or an adult reading you know a, a thriller or a nonfiction or something, um, i I learn new words in almost every book. You know, everybody's got uh, a couple of favorite words they tend to throw into their writing. Um, so there's that. Um, the Brains Benton books always had uh, some other aspect um, to, to teach you. And uh, I try to put that in my books, too. Uh, in, in my very first one, uh, you know, Wiz Tanner and the uh, Phony Masterpiece, I talk quite a bit about uh, the difference between oil-based and acrylic-based paint and how the old masters used uh, oil-based paint they mixed their own paints i didn't go into a lot of detail on that but i kind of mentioned that and then i mentioned that you know you can uh, paint acrylic paint over oil but you can't paint oil over acrylic or the other way around uh, uh, based on their molecular structure and how the one dries harder and uh, you know I, i described some of that stuff and uh I, I weave it into the story so it's not like I have three or four pages uh describing a technique of paint. It's uh, I, I try not to bring anybody out of the story while I'm putting this in. This is mostly um Wiz telling Joey this is how I figured it out, because and um it uh I, I think you learn stuff without really thinking that you're learning it. Uh, a, a kid should be able to, even adult. I have a lot of adults that like uh, to read my books. Um, they should come away knowing a little bit about the Python uh, uh, coding language uh, in one of these books. Um, uh, they should learn how to uh, lift fingerprints uh, off of various uh, types of, um, of objects, whether it's a porous object or uh, something uh, flat and hard like a, a glass. Um, those types of things uh, I put into uh, my books, um, Charles Fain Veral did very similar stuff in his Brain Benton books, uh, where we learned about uh, facial structure, different uh, noses and ears of people so that uh, w- uh, brains actually put together a, a little kit that you could use to, um, almost like a policed artist, come up with a composite of Uh, someone they saw as suspect based on these things like ear sizes and shapes and noses and so I learned quite a bit about facial structure reading this little kids book and uh, there's something like that in all of them
0: and that's something that also can stimulate curiosity so that uh, a reader might uh, look into that information in a little bit more detail on their own
1: I would love to hear from somebody that they actually went to Wikipedia or uh, or hit the Internet somehow to look up more information on something I brought out. I, that would throw me to no end to have that happen.
0: Now, uh, this particular book, I know you, you've talked about you read other brains benton books and other mysteries when you're a kid. What is it about this specific novel that um, that just kind of stick that has stuck with you? Um after you know all these years that this particular novel really uh stands out for you
1: there's uh, a lot of little things that go into this the, the the main thing is that um i was exposed to this first book the case of the missing message uh while i was uh, um flat on my back in a hospital I, I actually had uh typhoid fever as a kid and uh you know, for a long time, they didn't know what it was. I just had fevers spiking up to 105 and then breaking and and up. And so I was in the hospital for a few weeks. And uh, after I was uh, out of my delirium and coherent enough to actually start going back to reading, I was a, a voracious reader at the time, um, uh, my mother brought a book up from the uh, the hospital bookstore. And it was this, The uh, Case of the Missing Message, a Brain Spenton book. So I started reading it and I just, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I just uh, identified with, uh, with these characters, the, the stories were interesting and at the same time accessible to me, I could picture myself doing this stuff. And, uh, and I, you know, devoured this as quickly as possible and asked my mother if she could, you know, look for more of these. And, uh, eventually by the time I left the hospital, I had a complete set of six of, uh, of these brains meant in books and um, they were all uh, very similar in uh, how they approached things and brains of course was uh, always using some ingenious way to figure out uh, what the clues meant and uh, and who the bad guy was and jimmy was always right there with them helping them out and every now and then jimmy was the one that came up with the uh the clue that solved the case so it uh you yeah, know they, they pass the glory around a little bit. And uh, then uh, I spent uh, several years trying to find book number seven, um, only to realize that uh, it just was never written. So that kind of disappointed me, but uh, I I still have my set of six, and I read them uh, over again now and then. I started reading them to my children when they were young, and uh, it just kept going.
0: Hmm. So it really was just, just the right book at the right time.
1: I think it was, yes.
0: Is there a particular passage from the book that you'd like to share?
1: I would like to read everything from all six books, but I I realize we are uh, crunched for time. So uh, uh, why don't I just do uh, the the start of book one and and, and talk about uh, how that just hit me. Uh, Chapter one, the mysterious message. I might as well explain right away that my name is Jimmy Carson and I live at 43 Maple Street in the town of Crestwood. I'm a detective. And if anybody tries to tell you that a boy like me can't be a real detective and get mixed up in an honest-to-goodness mystery, well, I wish he had been along the night my partner and I investigated the spooky old Madden house. And then he goes on to talk about getting goosebumps and hearing cut his throat, cut his throat, and just uh, the next you know paragraph or two just really, you know, made me want to find out what was this Madden house all about? Why is uh, somebody cutting somebody's throat? And um, where does it go from there? And then he jumps back into um, just, you know, everyday life. He, his mother's calling him to get out of bed and, um, you know, breakfast is ready, that sort of things. And then he has an interaction on the phone with, uh, with brains where brains uses a coded message to tell them to come to headquarters right away because something important happened. And all of this is in the first, you know, two pages of the book. And I just had to to continue reading. Uh, Like I said, I was going in and out of delirium and stuff at the time. And so it would, uh, I would get a little angry if I started getting drowsy and had to put the book down. Uh, But as soon as I came around again, I would pick the book up and start reading it.
0: There really isn't any wasted space in this book, is there? It gets right to right to business right away.
1: Right. It um, it, it breaks a few of the rules that you learn in a writing class about uh, you know the the telling showing things. You know, you're supposed to show people stuff, not tell them stuff. And it does a little bit of that telling right up front. You know, this is who I am. This is where I live. I'm a detective. You know, and all that. Uh, but it, um, I, I think. It, it really helped grab me and, and throw me into the book. And then there's a whole lot of, uh, of the rest of the showing versus telling going on and in the, in the rest of the narrative that uh, English teachers would approve of.
0: I have to say some of my favorite books are ones that don't seem to follow the rules very well. So, uh, Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, picking this book. Uh, It's a book that I had not read before. I wasn't even aware of, so it's nice to discover. New books to me, anyway. It was a new book to me. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it in your own books today.
1: I thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity to talk about this. I I love this set of books. I love my set of books, and uh, I like talking about them. So thank you, and... uh, it's been wonderful.
0: You can find Fred's website at www.fredrexroad.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled "All Together" is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.